Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is John Trooper. This is Kate Prusser. This is Julio Rodriguez. Produced by Evan James Audio. This is Lookout Landing, Landing Podcast. Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Lookout Landing Podcast. My name is John Troopin. I am thrilled to be talking to you fine people about the Seattle Mariners Baseball Club. Now you may say, hey. Aren't there no more baseball clubs in MLB now that the owners have locked out? They took their ball and went home, proverbially. Um, It may feel like that. It may feel like it's been about eight months since Robbie Ray, reigning AL Cy Young, Robbie Ray, signed with the Seattle Mariners. But, folks, we believe there may be a light way off in the distance. Not necessarily that close, but somewhere a light off at the end of the tunnel somewhere and uh, here with me to discuss some of the potential components in that beautiful light there uh we have kate pruser managing editor of lookout landing uh, john as- why are you getting the people's hopes up that we have some kind of like inside intel that I, uh, oh, I, there's a light at the end of the yeah there's a light at the end of the tunnel it might be a train like we don't know <laughs> it's true that's true to, uh, to use it, that old saw yeah, it's it's very fair. It feels like there may be a few trains coming, maybe a, a row of trains, and then you know you sort of hew close to the edge, and uh, maybe we can sneak by. No insider info. I did start that pretty uh, pretty rosy, and uh, I tried to try to bring it back, reel it back in there. But don't worry, uh, I will always be the Bert to your Ernie. <laughs> Thank you. It's uh, it's how my business card describes it. Well, we have so. similar eyebrow games right now. Honestly, I've not <laughs> been to the salon in a while. <laughs> Disturbing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. 
That's my bird impression. Uh, Evan James, how is how is your uh, Ernie impression? Can you are you are you coming for my crown here, uh, or or are am I safe? I haven't seen Sesame Street since I was legitimately like five years old, so I don't even know if I could. I think I've seen like the Family Guy jokes about it more recently than the actual Sesame Street. So I'm gonna plead the fifth disgusting. on that one. <laughs> Once again, uh, I'm the old. I'm sorry, I'm not as in tune with children's content as either of you. I think it's fair to say. Um, it's possible. Uh, I will say, I I think there is a non, not insignificant uh, percentage of of the uh, population that knows about uh, major pieces of historical media or relatively current media through the lens of uh, the. Family Guy parody of it because I hear stuff like <laughs> that. Like I, I can't remember the specific film. I think it was The Great Escape or something that uh, Zach, my roommate Zach Gottschalk was, uh, and fellow staff writer Zach Gottschalk uh, was successful in answering uh, and confirmed. Oh yeah, it's because I saw the Family Guy episode on it. So uh, relatively upsetting, but uh, that's the that's the life we live in now. That is that is our world. As a millennial myself, I can say very safely that I connect to a lot of my world through Family Guy references, to, almost to an embarrassing degree. Um, there's there's one thing. I was at the doctor's office this one time, and he had a like an image on his wall, and it had a duodenum on it. And I had like I had heard that word before and couldn't place where it was. And it's from a Family Guy joke. There's a Family Guy joke like in the first season where they just drop a random medical term just to screw with people, and they say duodenum. And like I hadn't heard the the word used for like ten or eleven years, and I was like duodenum, duodenum, and then boom, it popped into my head the little scene with Peter like in his head, all the different people representing his brain. And one of them's like, "Oh, the duodenum's acting up," and like that's this is literally how I connect to my world. This through Family Guy cutaways. So yes, I I can confirm this. Mm, same, but for Simpsons references, because once again, older. I think it's fair, you know. <clears throat> I think uh, our our public education system uh, has mostly, you know, it's it's a nice pub public private partnership uh, that we've got between our traditional public education and uh, animated TV shows. Uh, well, a partnership that I would love to see, but that cannot yes. be. So uh, that's a good segue. That's a you get a gold star for that segue. <laughs> It was you. one of your less clunky ones, for sure. Thank you. Um, we I woke up on the been, segue side of the bed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just hopping, rolling out like Paul Blart. <laughs> so um, smooth. <laughs> uh, the Mariners are obviously, like all MLB teams, presently unable to make major league uh, moves. Uh, however, we thought it would be interesting to go a little more in depth on two major players who the club has been connected to heavily uh, and get a little bit more clarity where we stand uh, since it's very possible that the club signs one of them, but hope and hopefully they do sign one of them when the lockout ends. Um, but we're not certain they will sign either of them. and. Some of us, I think, really wanted the either Trevor Story or Chris Bryant at the outset of uh, 
of the winter, but uh, I'm not sure if they were necessarily... Some of us wanted Marcus Simeon. Some of us did want Marcus Simeon, and now that's off the table. As <laughs> no, is you know, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. Those deals are bizonkers and I would not have wanted the Mariners to do those deals. So, uh, and I have no problem spending John Stanton's money as evidenced on this podcast multiple times, but I think both of those do not make sense for where the Mariners are in their competitive cycle, what they have currently at shortstop and what they have coming up through the farm system. Texas has zero farm system. I believe we talked about this a little on the last podcast. Like, yeah. they're spending money because they have to spend money. So mm-hmm. it was tough, and it's definitely extra tough to see Texas sign both of them and for both of them to go into an interleague rival. But I think, are we all pretty much in agreement that, like, those deals are probably a little too rich for the Mariners' blood, both in time and money commitment? Yes. Uh, some of that may depend on just how much guys get after the new contract is signed. You know, like we're thinking Correa gets 350 if he winds up getting 400 or, you know, this just gets blown way out of proportion when we come back to it. I um, just I mean, we've got to be at the ceiling of what people can pay him. Right. As more teams come out of the running, don't you think? I never know what to make of it until the Yankees have signed somebody. And as long as their money is still on the table, like the Yankees and the Dodgers both still have skin in the game in terms of money to spend. And so I, I'm not ruling anything out just yet. I think that I don't know. Cause I did be spent uh, to try to come up with an article topic last week. And I know I ran this past the slack a little bit and no article appeared. And this is why uh, I tried to figure out if there's a way that the Mariners could take advantage of the Yankees kind of being at the ceiling of their payroll commitments without going into the luxury tax. Obviously, you know, the argument is the Yankees should just go ahead and bite the bullet and go over the luxury tax and, you know, sign Correa. But I was looking to see if there was like any money that they could offload. And they are just in such a tight scrape. Like they've got so much committed They've got, you know, Stanton on a full no trade for years. They've got Cole. Um, They've got to find a way to pay Judge. Like, they're paying Aaron Hicks. Aaron Hicks was the only thing I came down to as, like, possible money that could move. They've got the LeMayhew contract. Like, they've got so much big money deals, plus the younger guys that they have to take care of. They are just, there's no flexibility there unless they want to go over uh, the luxury tax threshold. So I don't, I do not know if there's a way that they can get Correa without doing that or without moving one of those big contracts and giving up a bunch of prospects too, which they don't have the best farm system, right, John? Yeah, they're in a spot where they have a bunch of people who seem liable to produce, you know, a few average players, but they don't really have anyone who seems like they're going to come in and be impact. I mean, Adolis Garcia is their big sort of rookie of the year candidate. He's right. going to be 29. He's a year. He's like almost a full year older than Corey Seager. Right. And they've had some bad luck with, pro- I mean, they've, you could call it development, I guess. I, I think Yankees development is pretty excellent. They've just had bad luck on the prospects front with guys just kind of busting, you know, or not contributing as much as they thought they were going to. Mostly I did this whole exercise because John I still blame him for making me fall in love with Davey Garcia years yeah. and years ago in the Paxton deal. 
I was yeah. so convinced somehow we'd get Davy Garcia, and then that didn't happen. But now yeah. Davy is kind of broke, right? So, well, the Yankees I, have had they've had a weird strip sort of stretch where a lot of their pitching prospects have not quite panned out as expected. Yeah, yeah. Or, or you know, and most of it's been injuries, right? Severino got hurt. Davy was inconsistent. I struggled as much as anyone with the ball. Um, but, you know, Loisaga became a great reliever, but he didn't become much of a starter. Obviously, Armand, his off-field suspension, and, you know, has been a little bit inconsistent. So, um, you know, I they seem to really believe in a couple of their top people, like Volpe, which is great. But, I, I'm you know, they are, based on their self-limited budget, they are an interesting club to target, even though it's it's sort of a weird, weird fit, ultimately, for the Mariners. Anyway, sorry, that was a long tangent for why I was so convinced. And I mean, I still feel in my bones that Carlos Correa is a Yankee, but I am wondering what's happening to his market. Like, yeah, as teams sign on, you know, I think Miami is still a possibility, although that would be such a big swing for them. Mm-hmm. Um, Detroit, I think, remains. Well, no, they did. No, Detroit's off the table, right? Detroit's off the table, and they signed Javi Baez. So, um, yeah, they are, they've made a sort of more mid, mid-level uh, commitment. Right. We actually got a question um, that I thought was a, a good one uh, about whether we would uh, currently prefer the uh, Mariners offseason thus far uh, to versus the uh, offseason that Detroit has had thus far. Um, so Frazier and Ray versus Baez and uh, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez. Uh, that's from Doug at Salisbury underscore Doug. I'm oh, I vastly prefer the Mariners. I don't even think that's homerism. I just I like those players better. I'm not. Mm. A, I am admittedly very low on Baez. Like as a hitter, I do not enjoy watching him hit. So I think. It was an interesting point in part because uh, the Zips projections for both the Detroit Tigers and the Mariners were released this week, or last week, and uh, Rodriguez is uh, projected to be a little bit better than Ray, uh, which Rodriguez in particular last year, um, but I think over a number of different seasons, has been an underperformer of his uh, FIP and sort of FIP-based metrics. So, I, I I do think it's closer, but I think that by the end of uh, by the end of this winter, the Mariners should be absolutely blowing Detroit out of the water uh, because Frazier and Ray and Story or Bryant uh, would be, I think, a pretty massive uh, start, especially if Seattle keeps going, which I hope they do. But, they better, uh, yes, way to bring us back on topic. Yeah, Evan, I sort of signed you up to be the Trevor Story uh, case maker here, um, but I would love to hear if you feel if you feel so inclined. Um, just a general general pitch for Trevor Story uh, on his fit with the Mariners. Uh, and then we can get Kate on for Chris Bryant, uh, and then we can we can sort of fill in some of the some of the question marks versus the more uh, you know the the stronger positives. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and this is my favorite part of the podcast where I get to totally co-opt somebody else's research and assert it as my own opinion. Um, so Luke Arkins actually did a really great article at Prospect Insider about kind of looking at Trevor's story and a sit with the Mariners and the splits in his performance last year. And it echoed a lot of what um, Mikey had told me a little bit about Trevor's story, which is that uh, he was much better in the second half of the year. His final 50 games, he had a 123 WRC plus compared to an 87 for the first, you know, about 90 games of the year. So he really rounded into form. And I think that some of the hesitation around him as a player is about his numbers last year being depressed relative to, you know, kind of the superstar status and dollar amount he seems to want to command. And uh, I think he's worth it. I really do. I think he's especially worth it at second base. And the Mariners need a second baseman. Um, Frazier's cool and all, but he's a lot more interesting as a utility guy in the Dylan Moore mold. Um, you know, kind of backing up second and third, maybe left field than he is starting every day. Uh, and I would really like to see Story at second base. The Mariners seem primarily interested in him as a third baseman, which I don't really like because it's both probably... It, it's probably a way to accrue less value out of him as a player. And given how much we would be paying him to come here, I don't super like that. Also, we tend to, as a staff at Lookout Landing, think that Toro is a better fit at third than second. And so playing both of those guys potentially out of position seems mismatched to me. Um, but, you know, I'm, you know, I, I don't work in baseball, obviously. I, I'm the audio guy. So I, my hope is that the Mariners know a little bit better about this than I do and that they think he can work at third, even despite the arm, um, you know, which again is the thing you'd mitigate by having him play second base. So I, I really like the fit. I think that, I think that as more time goes on, I find it a little less likely because I think he's going to get the same offer to play second base or shortstop over third, and he should probably take that. Um, but we'll see, you know, there there probably are some teams who are out on him because of the way he played last year, whether or not that's fair. And the Mariners need to pay one of him or Chris Bryant. And so. Like that just has to happen. There's no other clear cut um, upgrade. That's any kind of marginal like we need it to be out there to be had besides those two guys at this point. So. Um, if it's one of the two, I think Story is the better option. But I'm amiable to Chris Bryan as well. So I'm curious to see what you or Kate has to think, say about that. Kate, pitch us on KB. Um, I mean, you did in your article. So I would direct people to look at the site, <laughs> I guess. Like, check the site. Um, I think what I like about Bryan is... That he's a third baseman, and the Mariners seem pretty dedicated to not moving JP off shortstop, which I think is wise. Um, I know that his defensive metrics were not excellent there this year, but I, you know, defensive metrics, I think, are really tricky. And this year, they seemed very weird in general, um, because the eye test says that JP is an average to above average shortstop. And I think if you surround him on the infield with some average to above average talent, that's a really good infield, right? So Frazier is a huge upgrade at second base from whatever we were running out, no matter what they do there. Uh, Toro, I guess they, it's weird because they don't, they didn't ever give him any opportunities to play third, even when Sierra was out of the lineup, which to me, 
seems odd. Like, why are they not interested in at least even like Luis Torrens got a rep at first base? Like, what? Why are we not? Wait, did Torrens get a rep at third? Am I remembering that correctly? No, they put him on the lineup there, and then they pulled him before That's the game right. started. Yeah, it almost. Happened. They were they were yeah. they were getting him practice. That's right. There. I remember. I think now. the word you're searching for is cowards. They were cowards about <laughs> it. Cowards. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so I think that the fit, like the positional fit is really good. Um, I was concerned about Bryant's shoulder being p- potentially meat after, was it 2018 that he had all those injuries? And he was not, yeah, 2018 that he, and I was like, Ooh, he might be cooked, but then he came back and he bounced back pretty well. Um, Bryant concerns me a little bit just because his, <clears throat> power numbers or not i mean it's not exactly what you want to see at third base um he only hits the ball hard like half the time but he does a lot and his average exit velocity is like in the lower third of the majors but he does damage with it like he gets the barrel on the ball um he he's able to do damage when he impacts the ball and he has pretty good plate discipline last year was not like his best year for that so i like him as a hitter i think that they can help him become even more of a hitter i like him at third base i think he's more comfortable than there he does not look like comfortable as an outfielder to me didn't look like it in wrigley certainly did not look like it in oracle park both of those being notoriously hard places to play outfield which is just mean i think um so i think he settles in defensively he posts better numbers there he settles into t-mobile park right-handed hitter you know that adds some nice depth to the lineup maybe some power sneak a few balls over the fence into edgar's cantina um yeah i just i i like him and i think he's got like a profile that the mariners seem to like and he's a good fit and I, I mean, I, my feeling is he's not going to be as expensive as story, but I don't really know. I mean, um, to me, I feel like they're equivalent players, but I, I believe story's numbers edge him a little more. So I have no idea. And maybe story's like defensive acumen makes his price point a little higher. I am all on board the Noel V. Marte train, which I'm hoping we can talk about a little bit later. He's, I, Maybe he's shooting up for me humongously in my estimation of him as a prospect. So I, I'm feeling pretty good about Noel V somewhere down the line, like probably in the next couple of years, maybe three years. But I, I think he's here in the next two. So I don't need like a super long term solution. I would love Brian at like five years if he'd do that. Uh, and, you know, just turn John Stanton upside down and shake him. The major difference between these two, we should state too, is that Story is 27, right? And Brian is 31, 32. So even if their contract lanes were... Brian's 29. 29. Yeah. They're the same age. They're the same age. They're both 29. Okay, Uh okay. Then never mind. Never mind. Uh, Well, sorry. Story will be in his age 29 season. Brian will be in his age 30 season. Yeah. Uh, This coming. Brian uh, at this also, exact moment as we record though they are both 29. Brian would lose a couple home runs at T-Mobile Park according to his baseball savant page. So but like 
not terrible. You know, it's not a yeah. not a huge T-Mobile tax. I find Bryant offensively to be an interesting one because he has a little bit of like pre-shifting Kyle Seeger uh, offensively. Like he's he's always been other than twenty twenty mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. above average hitter. He doesn't do one thing unbelievably, but everything's right. pretty solid. Like Bryant was more athletic. He's bigger. He's faster than Seager, so I think that has always helped him a little bit with his BABIP and whatnot. But um, you know, Seager could really get into the ball, but a lot of the time his his sort of home runs were a little bit of the like, I have correctly calibrated how yeah. much of a moonshot <laughs> is necessary, and that's it. Like, um, you know, Bryant, I think if you're if you're getting sort of twenty-five home runs, twenty-five to thirty homers from him and 140 games as a decent third baseman who you can move around the field. I think that's very solid because, I mean, you know, they're just, he would have been the Mariners either best or second best hitter uh, last year. He, in almost every single year uh, of his career, he would have been the Mariners best hitter. And, you know, unless you think that's significantly falling off uh, due to his body injuries, I, I think he's. I think he's a really, really. He's the easiest fit, I guess. Is is the, the let's uh, ship him off to Aperos with uh, with Mitch Haniger, and he mm-hmm. can you know work on his soft tissue with Mitch. Exactly. Now, do for story, crawls and Gator yeah. wrestles and whatnot. <laughs> for story, I think the question is uh, the one that you highlighted, Evan. What position are you signing Trevor Story to play? Because. He had his right elbow issues um, this past year, and they, you know, when they MRI'd him, they said it's nothing structural. Uh, he'll be okay. Um, you know, do we think that impacted him offensively? Perhaps. Do we think that that impacted him defensively? Perhaps. He was a really good defensive shortstop still, but um, he's. I, I think it's right to question because the club has continually come out and said, JP's our shortstop. JP's our shortstop. And I think that's very reasonable. But I do like the idea that, oh, we could give JP more than two days off uh, and, you know, sign a, a genuinely excellent shortstop like Trevor Story, um, you know, and in this one small way, be like the Dodgers trading for Trey Turner to play second base, knowing. Okay, if Corey Seager gets hurt like he always seems to, oh, we just have another excellent shortstop. Or, you know, oh, if we want to cycle people around, I think Story gives you uh, more of that at the most important positions. Um, oh, also, for people who don't use Twitter, mm-hmm. uh, I noted the other day that the Mariners have hired a new hitting coordinator. Brad yes. Marcelino, who was most recently with University of San Diego. I reached out to Travis Kuhn, who is a Mariners prospect who went to USD, was recruited by Marcelino, um, who was, I think, kind of in charge of their recruiting efforts. And even though he was on the hitting side, and obviously Travis was on the pitching side, only nice things to say, of course, like, great guy, great baseball mind, really warm person. 
Um, also of note, USD is where one Chris Bryant went to college, as did Paul Seawald, who we know, who we know and love. Similar Vegas boy uh, has been on the Chris Bryant recruiting train, we hope. Um, so just a something something to kind of sweeten the pot. I mean, I know that they like Marcelino just as a hitting coach. He's going to uh, they're doing a minor league hitting camp this week that I believe he is leading for some of the, you know, hand-picked prospects. So should get a should get some reports on him. Uh he's pretty active on Instagram. You can find him there. Um I thought his stuff was really cool. So I don't know. I don't know if that if that means anything, but Knowing that this guy was a recruiter, that he recruited Chris Bryant, he's pretty good friends with him. Chris Bryant is all over this guy's pages. Um, so, you know, I don't think it's nothing. It's It might not be something, but it's not nothing. On the subject of things that might be nothing and maybe are something, um, Tim Laker is the only Mariners coach not returning next season. Is that correct? Um, this was a little while ago now. They had uh, one other person who was not returning, but it was uh, at the major league level. No, I was think it? that is right. Yeah, I think that's right because they just brought on McKay, and then it's I think the same group. They um, bumped him, but um, hold on, wait, I have this written down. <laughs> Let me get my notes. Um, let's see. Uh, Jared Sandberg was the other person Sandberg, the yeah. uh, as the bench that coach. Was, that was the name I was I was reaching for. Uh, and yeah, McKay is roughly replacing Sandberg, who was the bench coach. So I think McKay will kind of be that. Um, yeah. And then Jared DeHart is now the head hitting coach. Right. Uh, that is correct. I just thought this was worth mentioning. Oh, because Connor Dawson. Connor Dawson left too, right? But I think he was, he was on the a, minor, he was league, a minor league coordinator. Yeah. yeah. It seems like a little bit of a shift in direction to me because, you know, especially last year during the first six weeks when the team batted like 170 or whatever ghastly number they put up collectively, there was a lot of discussion about, you know, do you fire the hitting coach? Is that worth anything? Uh, and the team pretty steadfastly said no. You know, Mitch Hanniger came out and, you know, said, like, we like Tim Laker. Um, and there's been some reports that that may not have been entirely truthful, that there may have been some asynchronicity. Oh, God, what is this word? Um, asynchronicity? Asynchronicity. Thank you, Kate. <laughs> I'm struggling with that today asynchronicity between Laker and not just the rest of the coaching staff, but maybe some of the players as well. Um, and I think that he was one of the people who was brought in and really heralded as like a foundational coach and a really forward thinking guy and somebody who is, you know, kind of one of the organizational secret weapons. Um, not unlike McKay, frankly, earlier on in the Japoto era. And there have been some rumblings that he has some similar personality issues with some of the other people on staff. Um, and I think it's something to monitor just because what, I think a little bit of the bloom is off the rose is the way I'd say it about the DePoto hires in terms of the coaching staff that I generally like everybody they've brought in, but some of the guys they brought in and really kind of put up on a pedestal is this dude is unique and he has his own unique style and like he's going to do something different and set the market trend or whatever has not really panned out the way that I think they expected. Um, 
And I am curious to see how it works out and what kind of blame gets thrown around if they don't hit again for another month or two. So, well, I don't, I don't know how, because the organizational hitting strategies were set by like Hugh Quattlebaum and DeHart helped develop, like there's a strategy that they use from top to bottom in the minors. And it's kind of expected that everybody from the major league hitters to like the guy at the complex league will follow that. And it's expected that the coaches will all stay on message as far as being consistent about this is how we do things. This is the Mariners way of hitting. And I think if you don't follow that, um, your time in the organization is limited. So that was more of what I had heard kind of regarding Laker was that maybe, maybe he, he wasn't totally, sharing in that vision to put it that way but uh you know also like the team just could not hit their way out of a wet paper bag and um even though it's unfair the hitting coach usually does bear the brunt of that um even though i mean it's been pretty conclusively shown like there's no real relationship between the hitting coach and a team just not being able to hit but we all remember the edgar martinez Hitting coach days, which was uh, tough. That was that was a tough way to see that relationship end. Yeah. Um, but oh, really, as as well as it could have. Frankly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, classy on both sides, necessarily so, considering Edgar. But um, you know, hitting 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 is a is a tough job. I am a little, and I've mentioned this before. They've had a ton of turnover, mostly in the minor league ranks. Um, but they've just lost it, between the past couple of years, and it was especially noticeable this year. There was just a, I don't want to say mass exodus, but a lot of guys left uh, or did not have their contracts renewed. And to me, I mean, I, I'm a little, I think it's awesome that they go and they find these guys who don't necessarily have professional baseball experience. Marcelino is another one of those. He's been in the college ranks for so long, but it's disturbing that so many of these guys seem to leave which suggests to me that they're being underpaid or not guaranteed multi-year contracts and other mm -hmm. teams are easily able to beat that and the Mariners are just like well we'll just go back to the well and we'll get these guys who we can pay like bottom dollar to and bring them through again so I yeah, don't know. that's my question with it. Is it the team just being super cheap, or do they really feel like they gelled with some of these guys? And I think it's probably a little bit of A and B. And they've hired quite a few guys who played for the organization like immediately prior. Um, I'm blanking Negron. on who they're. Yeah, Negron. Negron, exactly. Like, and there's a few other examples of guys who like were playing for the organization last year who got hired onto lower level minor league jobs. And I don't, again, I think you could be right that that's very much a cost-saving measure, but I don't know, you know, I guess the results will tell us what to make of it, right? I mean, it feels very much to me like there's kind of a inner circle. So, like, you're you're part of that inner circle, and if you are, you, like, move up and up and up and get promoted, and, you know, Carson Vitale and... um what's his name, Max Weinberg. And, you know, they're, they're these guys who I think they've identified as like future stars and they make a, a strong effort to hold on to those kinds of guys. And others just leave. I think Quattlebaum was really liked, well-liked, but, you know, sometimes guys just leave for better opportunities. That doesn't, you can only have so many guys at each level, right? There are only so many jobs. So 
some turnover is to be expected. And I think it is a good reflection on your organization if guys are desired elsewhere, especially on the pitching side. But uh, it's I mean, it's it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell from outside. Like, are they being cheap? I don't know. We don't we don't really have enough information on that side. Um, but it is, I think, something to watch in the future. And I don't know where Marcelino is going to be assigned either. I don't know. If, I think all the minor, major league hitting jobs are taken. So I assume he'll be in the minors somewhere. I don't know. In any case, it would still be positive. I am wary that this is a little bit like when the White Sox hired all hired and signed all of Manny Machado's friends and then offered him like 180 <laughs> million as the Padres. So like, yeah. well, what if we offered you 300 million? Uh, it's like, yeah, you know, I'll still see them. <laughs> I can yeah, see them still still my friends. I yeah. have 300 million dollars. Uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately, it will not be a, a defining factor one way or the other. But does it give the Mariners a little bit of an edge if the if the offers are similar? That's the that's the key thing. Like, uh, they ha- it has to be a competitive offer, but it is the kind of thing that could put you over the top. That was not a case of a competitive offer, so no. you know we'll keep an eye on it. Um, I want to go to a question from Alex Langer, AP Langer on Twitter. Uh, what has caused such a change in outlook for JK, especially regarding his defense and Julio since the end of the season it seems no one, but LL believes JK <laughs> can be the player people thought he was in April. While suddenly Julio might be a center fielder. Uh, uh, I have things to say about this. Can I disagree with the question up front? Like, is that allowed? <laughs> Sure. I don't think that there's been any kind of like quantitative change in outlook for either of them. Neither like Julio in particular has not played that much. And when he has played, he's been tearing up double A. So, you know, that's cool, but that's double A. And uh, he's probably the number one, number two prospect in baseball. So it's hard to like realistically have any kind of major change in prospect profile from that standpoint. Uh, I think. People talking on him maybe playing center field is kind of a reaction to him putting on speed the last offseason and him looking faster and like a better, you know, outfielder. But I think he's still viewed as a right fielder. Kate will correct me on that if I am wrong. And uh, for Jared, he just had a rough rookie season. You know what I mean? Like there's it's going to happen when guys are literally not old enough to drink yet. And I don't nobody who knows anything is down on JK, especially if they watched him in September. So I would dampen the the worry on that question a lot mm, i don't disagree with the question but i do think like i mean it's, you're right like there's a mariners fan perspective and there's a broader perspective which is like the freaking new york post writing like oh jared kelnick has failed expectations or whatever it's like get over it already people get over it uh so i think like there's a national narrative where like jk wasn't good which is ridiculous because, you know, he did not come out and smash like we've been trained to expect highly profile, high profile rookies to do because like Vladdy and Juan Soto ruined it for everybody. <laughs> Sorry, Jared. Um, but I, I, I agree. Like, I don't think that that is. A, I think that's more of a casual fan take than it is anyone like you'd be hard pressed, I think, to find serious Mariners fans who looked at his performance down the stretch and are like, oh, that guy's just not very good because it's just not 
a fact. Um, I do think that there is it as far as like narratively, there's something being set up about center field. Um, and there is evidence for this because DePoto came out and said like, Oh, we know that Jared isn't a natural center fielder or whatever. And I was like, why would you say that? Like, I know I stand alone on an Island of believing that Jared is a pretty good center fielder. Um, I don't know that he has like the same natural instincts as like a premium center fielder, but I think he is fine out there. I think he's playable. Uh, he's fast. He gets better. I feel like he's gotten better just from the eye test, I guess, again, like, uh, his, his reads are still wonky. Sometimes he continues to be much better going, coming in than he is like going back. Um, North and South remain problems. Just, I think primarily communication wise, like, figuring out who covers which balls. But I thought it was very odd for DePoto to come out and say, you know, we don't know that Jared is... Our I honestly felt like that was a direct challenge that he was issuing to Jared to this offseason. Get mad about that and go... I bet Jared is somewhere furiously in a gym in Wisconsin, like, I don't know, running <clears throat> sprints or, you know chasing down what's that thing the shooting skeet yeah mm -hmm. he's just ha having somebody fire balls in the air for him to chase down across the wisconsin fields um <laughs> i think that there's a competition being set up between because i don't think of julio as a natural center fielder either like i do think of him as a corner outfielder and he has done everything he can to disprove that i don't know if you saw the latest pictures from that he posted on <laughs> social media. He is mm -hmm. looking like an action hero. He is absolutely jacked, just shredded, uh, which is hilarious because one of the knocks on Julio when he was getting recruited, when he was, you know, uh, being scouted as a tiny teenager, <laughs> preteen in Dominican, um, was I, I think he got the bad body label a little because he was like kind of a chunkier kid. He was a little soft, you know. He just didn't. He didn't physically mature as quickly as his uh, compatriots. He was not like a Jason Dominguez type running around the island, uh, you know, huge and muscly. But he, yeah, he was a little like, he was, he was a little soft. He wasn't that like lean and springy kind of athlete that they scout. But he also wasn't like a giant muscled power hitter. He was, he was, he was a little sponge. He was a little spongy boy. Um, no more. <laughs> And no, no, I mean, what that is what some hard work and genetics can do for you because he's just a washboard abs, insane looking person now, like just crazy strong. Hard body um, Julio. Hard body Julio. I love it. Uh, <laughs> so he's like, I, I think Julio's like, I'm going to be center field. And they gave him some reps out in center field in double A, even though they really didn't have to do that. The team was not short on outfielders, specifically ones that could play center field. So, yeah, I feel like we're being set up. They're both being set up with challenges for the offseason. Who is going to come in and win this center field job? I think it's primarily to motivate Jared to get him to push himself to be a better center fielder. I mean, that is my armchair psych reading of it. But I think it's also meant to set up like a really fun spring training battle that will get not just Mariners fans, but I think national attention. Um, the two of them kind of 
duking it out to see who's going to be opening day center fielder. I'm so excited. Technically, Kyle Lewis does still exist somewhere. So I'd like to no. throw that out there. No, he does not. <laughs> I love Kyle Lewis, but uh, when Jerry is saying things like, anything we get from him will be a bonus. I know. I you cannot know. say he's factoring into the plans, sadly. Sadly. I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's alive. his way of maybe that's his way of motivating Kyle Lewis. I have no idea. But it is Kyle Lewis is gone on social media. I don't know where there's no like workout updates that I'm seeing. It's it is distressing. Yeah, the silence on that front is very ominous. I am going to push back on the pushback on the pushback vis-a-vis Jared Kelnick concern because I think you're right that that is a that is a thought that is out there um, that I've certainly seen more from people who are maybe casual fans but I, I don't I don't mean to phrase that dismissively as though like well actually if you look at it because uh, he was bad for a, a significant stretch, and like you said, he he got there, and I think we could see the trajectory and the reasoning behind the improvement, and that's why I'm optimistic for him. But at the same time, he, you know, we just had the Zips projections come out. They project him to be a 1.1 win player, uh, which is to say a below average, you know, regular uh, sort of a the type of player that should be more of a bench role than, uh, you know, full-time starter. Uh, you know, he's 22. That's not a terrible outcome for a 22-year-old. Um, but they kind of think, you know, Zips and Steamer both think he's going to be around a league average hitter, maybe a little bit better, and that, you know, that overall number is a little bit dragged, is a drag down significantly by his defense. So, if he is able to sort of get more comfortable in the outfield, I think, uh, especially in center field, which I think is not unreasonable, right? That is a big, that's a big learning curve of just getting more comfortable with a new stadium, getting more comfortable with how hard the ball comes off the bat and the bigs, things like that. You see improvements uh, in those regards. Um, and athletically, I think he's solid out there. But I'll be honest, I think a big part of the perception shift is just we saw Jared Kelnick more, right? And the world has yeah. mostly Julio is seen... really in the sweetest spot, like the anticipation, right. you know? Right, right. You know, and I mean, like, I think Julio is going to be exceptional. And I do too. Julio has never played a game of AAA baseball. <laughs> he absolutely obliterated, you know, Double A and High A and the Olympics. I mean, yeah, do you want to say the Olympics? Yeah, the Olympics, like, yeah, his numbers. Kind of similar to Triple A baseball. Like, I, I, I mean, it's just, it vacillates, right? Because he also got his butt kicked in Leadham, like, in the Dominican Republic. He got his butt kicked there. Right. So, you know, I think we've, we've mostly seen. Highlight package Julio Rodriguez, which is to say right. most of Julio Rodriguez in the minor leagues. But we've seen Jared Kelnick struggle. Know, you've seen yeah. Jared Kelnick struggle, and you've seen Jared yeah. Kelnick struggle in HD night after <laughs> night after night. With um, game on the line, like 
things that yeah. matter final mm-hmm. at bat in a game the Mariners are strikes out which is mm-hmm. such an obvious too, struggle we have seen Jared only struggle we have yet to see him have that kind of like signature oh, moment of success what about the in- two home run game in Kansas City yeah but I mean like comparatively speaking he had so many of those moments you know like especially at the end of the year like the fly out on the second to last game or the strikeout or you know like he had the walk-off walk that one time that was pretty awesome but walk I don't off feel walk. Like he had the had... double in one of those last games the wednesday night game or tuesday night game i can't remember i think anyway. we're missing his signature moment mm-hmm. in my opinion i mean i think that the team didn't have a signature moment around him but he contributed a lot down that i mean he was one of their best players in september i think like, it will be easier for we're talking from just a narrative perspective not a realistic perspective realistically i think he's fine from a narrative perspective i think the narrative will change when he has sustained success that's like high yeah. profile you know what i mean like yeah. when he has I a couple of home runs year. i really i really think this i really think that comes this year that he, yeah agreed and especially because whatever he's doing and unlike Kyle Lewis silence on social media, Jared's silence on social media, uh, he has not posted his like workout video hitting the gym. He is doing something in secret. He's like in Dexter's lab down there. Like, say, yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> he may come from back Jared. with a third arm or something. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this, is my, this is my pitching arm. Smelter. Yeah, exactly. He's jealous of all the attention that Shohei got. Exactly. So he wants to pitch. Yeah, exactly. fifth starter. You know, he just not? willed yeah. a new arm to a new mm-hmm. appendage to spring forth from his. I could. Mm-hmm. I mean, if anyone. Yeah, Jared is Jared is the kid who there's some kids when you don't hear them, you're like, hmm, probably doing a puzzle or something, you know, playing a video game. And there are some where when you don't hear from them, you're like, oh, what are they up to? And that that that's Jared, the Jared off on his own. Uh, I mean, again, nervously excited. I'm I'm excited. I feel bad for all the baseballs in the state of Wisconsin because they are probably getting a shellacking right now unlike any they've seen before. But yeah, I mean, I think that the Julio Jared thing, this is what's fueling me this offseason is like imagining, because they're friends, they're friendly for sure, but they're not like best friends. <laughs> and they're no. not, And there's definitely a degree of healthy competition between the two of them. That Which I think, I think the team that, has intentionally stoked. Too, absolutely. Right? And now that they're being kind of, unintentionally or not, and I think it is intentional, pitted against each other for the center field job. You know, this is a true, like, iron sharpens iron kind of thing, and I'm just really excited. Like, let's get this damn lockout over with. I want to go to spring training. I want to see these two titans going at it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's see. How about this question from Brian at a player to be named later? We didn't uh, talk too much about it, but uh, the minor league rule five draft did come uh, and go, and the Mariners had a few people taken. They also made a few picks, but Brian notes two of the first seven picks in the rule five draft this year, uh, and this is different than the major league version 
the major league version is the one where you have to bring someone on the major league team and keep them there all year. That's not happening until after the lockout is over. Uh, Brian asks, is this a good sign of their depth or an error in evaluating? Evan, I know you you offered a quick response already to Brian on this, but Kate, I, know I really want to the... hear what you guys have to say because you did. You are the Rule Five people. You are the experts. <laughs> we we are the localized uh, JJ uh, Coopers. Of, uh... <laughs> Kate, you did the write ups on on the uh, Rule Five situation, though. I did. Um, I did. The Mariners lost a couple relief prospects. Right. Um, they lost Nolan Hoffman, right-handed pitcher, and they lost um, Elvis Alvarado, another right-handed pitcher. Elvis was acquired in the Rowanis Elias Hunter Strickland trade. I know it was technically the Hunter Strickland trade, but I always call it the Rowanis Elias trade. <laughs> uh, along with, like, what was his name? Taylor Gilbo? Was that yeah, one? Yeah, that's correct. It was Taylor Gilbo and Yeah, Aaron not Fletcher my favorite. And... Not my favorite Mariner. Yeah, Aaron Fletcher, who remains in the organization. Yep. Attempting to find left the demand. Yep, Famously yep. left-handed. Always be left-handed. <laughs> A-B-L-H. Mm-hmm. Um, Nolan Hoffman was... He had TJ, so that's what made him Rule 5 eligible. You can only get picked in the minor league Rule 5 if you're still Rule 5 eligible. Uh, so he got picked in the minor league rule five it was the first overall pick, which is pretty cool. Um, there's no rule like the major league portion of the rule five where they have to be put onto a roster. They just have to, there has to be space on the AAA roster and then they can be assigned anywhere in the minors. So, I mean, organizationally, like, mm, yes and no. I mean, the Mariners couldn't realistically protect Hoffman. He just hadn't pitched that much. He's a true side armor. He'll be a fast mover. It was a really shrewd pickup by the Orioles, I think. But, and yeah, I mean, it says good things about their pitching depth. It also says good things about their pitching depth that like any number of Mariners relievers could have been targeted and two of them were. So, I I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't think that there's any way to frame it that it was like a, an organizational miscalculation or something like both those guys are kind of a ways away. The minor league portion is mostly just kind of swapping guys around. Uh, Maybe one of them breaks out. I think there's a good chance Hoffman could even make it to the majors by the end of this next season, just because he's pretty polished. The only ding on him was like not pitching for a while because he had, he had a pretty tough recovery from TJ as I seem to recall. Uh, I'm sad. He's a great guy. Like, was best friends with Travis Kuhn and the organization and, you know, just someone I really liked on a personal level went out and uh, marched in the BLM protests in Texas, like didn't just put the black square on Instagram, but like went out there and did something about it, which I thought was pretty cool allyship. Um, You know, just a, a neat guy, a neat guy. And I really hope he gets a chance with the Orioles to make the majors this year. And I think good chance of it uh alvarado's more of a project yeah i mean it's literally the orioles so alvarado throws like triple digits uh but does not have a ton of command he's a project he's detroit's project now so uh and the mirrors got some interesting guys themselves they went like almost all position players actually all position players because they gave tommy wilson back right or they sold him to the to the orioles again yeah so they got rid of their only 
pitcher selection, um, just like for cash considerations, I, I guess. I mean, that's how low stakes kind of the right. minor league right. rule five is, though, that like these guys just kind of. They're it is all... incredibly rare that any of these level of players become impact big yeah. leaguers. There are, yeah. you know, useful occasionally useful players but yeah, yeah. It's, it's not these are these are more organizational yeah. type players yeah. that are being yeah. swapped around second chance guys change of scenery guys um what's his bucket carson fulmer was picked in this right in this year's draft for the somebody's gonna fix that head whack eventually i guess um <laughs> <laughs> why not just he'll be with every organization before his career is done i think um I think Nolan Hoffman does have a chance to be someone, but mm-hmm. you know that's going to require the Orioles putting him on the major league roster before he can get picked in next year's five draft. So, you know, we'll see. I would love uh, to wrap up here because I have to boogie, but mm. uh, we got we got a lot of really good questions. So what I may what I do is I may just hold on to some of these questions, and we can just do a full on mailbag uh, again, maybe even later this week, or uh, certainly before before the holidays kick in here, because uh, I really appreciate the array that we got. Yeah, that's, um, that's got some good idea. got some. Got some good bullpen questions. Got some good uh, Kyle Seeger legacy questions, uh, and a lot Ugh. of a lot of general. Um, you know, just wanting to talk more about Julio, which who doesn't? Um, I, I really appreciate it. somebody somebody asked for an hour straight of Julio facts, which yeah, like we we genuinely got I a couple. Do. Yeah, subscribe to my Patreon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll recite Julio facts at you. um yeah i you know this it was very funny but i was i the the sort of furor over julio's uh hard hard body julio's uh recent photo shoot (laughs) i'm only calling him that from now on well it's just you know i remember i i interviewed julio for you know for the site on facetime and he was in like in a hotel, uh, like in an airport, or he was in the airport, like waiting to fly either to Arizona or in Arizona, waiting to fly back to the DR. And he was, I think he was 17 still. And it was just like, it was such a staggering reminder of like, this is a massive kid. And what a weird, <laughs> bizarre thing. And like, yeah, he's 20 now, but like, that's a big kid. So, yeah. you know, I'm really, I'm really hopeful, uh, that, that we get to see a whole lot of him this, this year. Um, but also, I mean, him and even Jared too, like as someone who is in their late twenties, it is very, very fresh to me how different I thought about the world when I was 20 or 22, not even, you know, not necessarily core values. I think those are those are strong, but just like the way that I interacted with the world, uh, and the you know the amount of pressure and the amount that these these uh, these kids are are putting themselves uh, through the, the amount of work they put in is is 
boys really. So uh, I'm really excited and hopeful that we get the lockout resumed or uh, resolved in a positive fashion right. so that we can see uh, see them start their start and continue their hopefully lengthy, hopefully really memorable careers. All right. Well, we will talk to you all very soon. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you uh, for holding in there. Uh, if you are uh, interested in some baseball content, we have had some articles up on the site over the past few uh, days and past week or so. Um, we've got some stuff on Zips. We've got. I wrote something about Logan Gilbert uh, and his fastball. Isabel wrote um, some. Uh, No, not Honius Wagner. What was it? Uh, Rogers Hornsby uh, fanfic, which I'm sure (laughs) that people love. Um, But yeah, you know, we're we're all going to get through this together. Um, Yeah. And there's at the very least, there will be stuff on the minor league end to talk about. mm -hmm, I have mm -hmm. an interview with Luis Carvello that I am transcribing and translating and will put up on the site soon. Um, you know, the minor league guys are at a hitting camp right now. I think I mentioned that. So we should have some video. I'm sure they've sent, you know, a video videographer down there to mm-hmm. get some content for the at Mariners. Um, cause <laughs> what else is there right now? Uh-huh. Uh, so, you know, we'll have, we'll have things. And if nothing else, minor league ball is not affected by the lockout. So we will have minor league ball. At the bare minimum, but I am I am optimistic just because of the amount of money on the table that these things get resolved before spring training. Here's Maybe not some. a ton before spring training, but you know, I just I don't think that either side has a huge desire to have this drag on into spring training. So concessions will be made. I would advise against, however, watching anything on MLB.com right now. Um, I was watching yeah. the Leadum games because I've been watching Noel V. Marte play, uh, which is a separate topic for a separate mm-hmm. podcast. But uh, after the game ends, it doesn't work like MLB TV. Like it, it just kicks over to the next thing. And there was a thing about the 95 season after the strike, and it was just designed. Obviously, the 95 Mariners are in it. Uh, the 95 Atlanta Braves, like, you know, it's just designed to like, ping at everyone, pull at everyone's heartstrings in some way. But the underlying <laughs> message of it is obviously like, oh, the Cal Ripken was a hero because he went to work every day and he did his job. And it's just the grossest <laughs> anti-labor. Yeah. So definitely like boycott MLB.com if you can, uh, because clearly you're, we're getting a a very slanted view. And again, I know we're going to continue saying that throughout the lockout, but always remember who is employing the people who are writing the articles that you are. Uh, always follow the money. So who is employing mm-hmm. the people who are writing the articles you are reading? Who is dependent on getting information from the league and are right? Because that all shapes how this is being covered. So just a reminder, I know people probably know that, but... I'm personally in deep in the pocket of Marie Calendar pot pies. Uh, <laughs> uh, me, I'm in big pot pie, which is what they you, promised me. Uh, as I long as it's one of that burnt pumpkin pie. Oh, Thanks, Christ Marie no. Calendars. No. No. <laughs> All right, y'all. Have a good week.